You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Hello, good morning. Lovely to be here. It's so weird having masked faces, but some of you have smiling eyes, so I, I think I'll still connect. It's okay. Um, so I'm really excited. We have a theme of identity today. And uh, we are both talking on the same topic, but from different angles. So uh, I kind of talk quickly and I, I cover a lot of content pretty fast, kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. So strap your seatbelts on, <laughs> track with me as best you can. Okay, where do we get our identity from birth? We hear it's a boy, it's a girl. Uh, and our parents are really foundational in, in telling us who we are and we work out where we fit in the world. And then there's a common developmental milestone, kind of pre-teen, where kids go through this, who am I? Where do I fit in? And I think spiritually, a lot of the body of Christ is still in that place of not knowing who they are. A lot of people in the church don't actually know who they are. So uh, in prepping for this, I felt the Spirit of God tell me, tell them who they are. So you're going to be told a few things today. <laughs> a lot of scripture, but that's how, how it is with me. The enemy is into identity theft. He wants to steal your identity. He wants to distract you from your identity. And he uses all sorts of things. He uses busyness, opinions of others, external things to tell you who you are. The enemy whispers identity lies all the time. But none of that is who you are. The truth is, your identity is not found in your success. Your identity is not found in your failures and mistakes. Your identity is not found in what you do. Hello. Your identity is not found in your attractions. Your identity is not found in your feelings and your desires. Rachel Gilson quote, Should my desires be my pinnacle guiding light? Do I belong to my desires or do I belong to Jesus? My desires don't care about me. My desires lie to me. My desires didn't die for me. I need his help to retrain my desires, to judge them and not accept them blindly. Real and vibrant light is not found in following my every desire. Jesus is more trustworthy than my own heart. Wow, what a quote. And you know, Jeremiah 17, 19 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And people think, just look inside and you'll find out who you are. If you look inside without God the Father being there and try to find out who you are, that leads to confusion. That leads to being the enemy taking you in paths that aren't actually who you are and what you've been called to be. Your true identity, church, your true identity is found in Him. In Him alone. Now, when I first moved to Canada, oh my goodness, identity crisis. You see, in Australia, I was a workaholic. I had five different jobs. I was building my dream home two doors away from my parents. Um, I was non-stop busy. My mom was even doing my laundry, just because she knew I didn't have time. And I came to Canada, and I was applying for permanent residency. I was not allowed to work. It was really uncomfortable. And I, I went through this process. It took almost a year and at the end of that year, like I seriously was, who the heck am I? 
Everything that defined me externally was gone. My family, my friends, my jobs. Like, I was used to being popular and respected, and then no one knew me, and I was Marty's wife, which is awesome, honey, but that, that was all new, right? <laughs> People didn't even understand some of my words. They're like, what did you say? And I had to have my husband translate. It was awful. Um, so I, I really felt like I didn't know who the heck I was, and I didn't know how much all those external things gave me an identity. I didn't know how much of my identity was caught up in what I did. I didn't know that all that stuff, I thought that's who I was. And at the end of a year, I said, I am Carolyn, child of God. Full stop. That's it. That's it. That's who I am. And I didn't have to prove anything to anybody. It was so freeing. It was like, that is who I am. That is my identity as a child of God. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of blood, nor of the desire of man or a husband's will, but born of God. We have innate value because we're made in the image of God, no matter how your conception came about. Now, some of you here might not have the greatest foundational story, but I want to encourage you with this testimony from Pam Stenzel. She's a youth communicator in America. She said, she said rape, sorry, she said um, abortion was illegal in the southern part of the U.S. unless you were raped. And that was the story of the way she was conceived. Her mother chose to give her life and she was given for adoption. Now she says, my biological father was a rapist. But my life has no less value because of the way I was conceived. Whoa. And I did not deserve the death penalty for the sins of my father. I remember just crying <laughs> when I heard her say that. So true. And she's so secure because she knows who her father is, who her heavenly father is. She knows she's a child of God. As a child of God, you have rights. Hello, permission to raid the fridge. You know what I'm saying? As if you are a child of the, your family, you can just raid the fridge. You don't have to ask permission. We have those rights. We can come boldly to his throne of grace. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that not an expression in Canada, raid the fridge? Yeah, okay, you know what I'm saying. You can raid the fridge, literally. Whatever, whatever you need, God wants to give it to you. He wants to give it to you. He's a good father. Permission to raid the fridge. We can come boldly. Now, in, in knowing who we are, I really love this quote. This was from, and it's translated because it's in Denmark during World War II, Hendrik Kramer was a bishop. The Nazi regime was taking over his homeland and the pastors and priests came to him and their question was, what shall we do? Important question at that time. His response First, we must know who we are, and then we will know what to do. Isn't that good? So profound, so obvious. And I want to talk about something Pastor Greg Simmer says. Ecclesia is not what we do, it's who we are. So you have an identity as a child of God, and you also have an identity as being part of his ecclesia, part of his church, which is really cool. And I'm going to unpack that a bit. 
Matthew 16 says, I will build my church, Ecclesia, which in Greek, literally in the, in the day that it was spoken, when Jesus said this, it was not a religious term. It literally meant my, legisl- my legislative assembly. I will build my ecclesia and the power of death will not prevail against it. So this term ecclesia was political and governmental. This is like Isaiah chapter 9, for the government will be upon his shoulders. This is the kingdom of God. Do you hear that? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government will have no end. He will reign and rule forever and ever. We are all ecclesia in the body of Christ. We are given power to bind and loose. We have authority. It's exciting. And not being paid in ministry does not disqualify you from being used to bring his kingdom here on the earth. We, we are supposed to be ones who, who bring Jesus like a conduit, like the power of God going through you, out your hand to the people around you. We're meant to be the ones that reveal who he is. I believe God can use us all for his glory to see his kingdom come on the earth. I heard Steve Penny say, this is probably pre-internet. Yep, I heard this when I was a teenager. A lady in his church was very shy, very quiet, and he preached on everybody has a part to play. Everybody needs to be available for God to use them in some capacity. And she went home and she's like, what can I do? She's so scared of people. But she's like, I can sing in the choir. That's all I can do. But she surrendered and was open. And the Lord told her to call this certain random phone number in the phone book. So she rang this number and she didn't get a hello. She got abused and hung up on. And she's very sensitive and she's getting all teary and she's not used to being spoken to like that. And she hears God say phone again trembling hands she she dials the number again the same thing happens just yelled at and hung up (sighs) took a lot of courage but she did it a third time and this time there was no yelling there was just silence so she's like what do I do and she just started singing amazing grace that's all she knew to do and then this man says who are you and he explained that him and his wife had immigrated to Australia from Eastern Europe, were very lonely, and they were literally at the table about to commit suicide together. And her phone call kept interrupting them. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. So do not think that you are insignificant and God cannot use you. He can use all of us. We just need to be obedient. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, these good works that he's given us to do as children of God, we don't do them to get righteous. We do them because we are righteous. You hear that? You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a child of the living God. You reign and rule with him. 
And in many ways, we have become dysfunctional because we don't understand the ways of Jesus and we don't understand who we are. And if we forget who we are, we won't know what we're meant to do. So we have two different identities. We have the I'm a child of God, I'm the bride of Christ, I am the ecclesia. And so the vertical one, the relationship with Jesus, and then the outward one, the ecclesia. We are part of his body. And dysfunction comes when something deviates from how it was designed to function. Does that make sense? And I feel like the church has been dysfunctional. We've been this religious organization rather than the ones that embrace his kingdom. We're meant to be the ones who represent Jesus on the earth. When you really know who you are, there is a confidence. Like I said, permission to raid the fridge. There is a confidence that all of heaven, all of heaven is behind you when you step out in his name. It's exciting. And you know, COVID's done a number on a lot of people, and I'm sure some of you have had identity crisis um, more recently than my 20 years ago story. (laughs) But in the end, who we are is a child of God, and what we're called to do is show his love. Look at the Great Commission, going to all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. That's what we're called to do. I love Bill Johnson saying someone in his church was asking him, do I do this job or this job? I'm conflicted. And Bill said, pick one. Then heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. (laughs) We get caught up thinking the job we have that's not kingdom related is the most important thing, but it's not. Building his kingdom is the thing that is eternal. Everything else fades away. Every other part of your identity that is not based in Christ is temporary. Isn't that crazy? Everything else is temporary, except your foundation in him. Now, I had an uh, interesting time praying on Thursday morning with the intercessors, and the Lord gave me three pictures. I was asking him to show me, show me. <laughs> and the first thing I saw was us reigning with Jesus, reigning in heaven, seated in heavenly places. I went, yep, got that, that's scriptural. The second thing I saw was you being the conduit. So the, I literally saw light going through the body and out the hand, being his hands and feet to this lost and broken world. But the third thing it was a little trippy. I've never seen anything like this. So there was a group of intercessors, probably 25, linked arm in arm, facing outward and in a circle. And I panned out thinking there would be something pretty cool to see on the inside, what they're surrounded. And I saw this burnt out charcoal black tree stump, dead. But the intercessors were standing and joyful, just content, smiling. And I'm like, Lord, what is this? And then I suddenly saw this little green shoot grow up from the middle of this burnt out trunk. And then like supernatural growth, this massive tree grew up where there had been this burnt out tree trunk. And it was huge. It was bigger than the previous trunk's diameter. And we all stood back and were like, whoa, look what God has done. And I went looking at the internet trying to find out what kind of tree this was because I'm not an expert on uh, big trees. And it was a noble fir. Does that ring a bell for anybody? We are the bride of Christ. Proverbs 31 says, a wife of noble character who can find. He wants to restore the reputation of the church. 
the church's reputation hasn't been great. I'm talking globally. <laughs> and, and there's been a shift now from measuring church success from attendance, like bottoms on seats, to actually being the ecclesia, actually being the hands and feet of Jesus, actually doing the micro-church thing. I love this concept that Caleb wants to move in the church. Having connection, knowing who you are, ministering powerfully out of that. Amen? So you are a child of God. You reign and rule with him. You are his hands and feet. And he has good works prepared, especially for you, uniquely for you to do but it comes from that place of abiding and then you'll get to know all his plans for you because they're good. Bless you. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm going to hand you your stuff if that's okay. So good. I love it. I love having different voices come and speak truth, remind us who we are in Christ. So Vinjalu, come on up. Excited to hear what you have this morning. I, I just need to turn on my stopwatch because <laughs> I'm a good African, so. Okay, thank you. I'll rely on you then. Carolyn, that was uh, amazing. And like, I, like I, I, I felt that it's just going to flow. That was, that was really, really beautiful in talking about our identity and who we are uh, in Christ. I, I want to, um, in, in carrying on what, what Carolyn was sharing, what God was sharing today, um, in the form of identity. And I, I, what I felt that I was going to be speaking on today is kind of like my life sermon, but it's, it's, it has to do with, with love at the very center of it. And um, I remember the first time we came to, to, to Life Tree. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a difficult time in our lives, um, my wife and I, and it was going to get worse. And I remember when we came to Life Tree. And among all the prophecies and all the things that were spoken and all the great people that we met, I, I, th I think the thing that stood out the most to us was, was this experience of, of love. Uh, not, not human, not the human, but the, the God uh, kind of love, which human beings can display. And, and obviously, when you think about love and all that mushy stuff, you... There's, there's a portion of scripture, you know, I, I was a pastor, and so there are, thing, there are places you just go to. And, and, one of the, and I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to that place. And, and the place I want to start at is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is considered to be the love chapter uh, in the Bible. It's a scripture that's used at weddings and, and things like that. It's, it's, it's a beautiful portion of scripture. Uh, from verse, usually from verse 4 on, it's, it's used at weddings, but... But it, it, it also has a lot of truth. Uh, the church in, in Corinth at the time uh, was, was going through some struggles. They had experienced an explosion of growth. And, uh, and as they grew, uh, they were growing by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is very, very key, for, for, especially for the Pentecostal movement. They were growing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Things were happening in their midst. So 
people were speaking in tongues, were prophesying. All these things were happening. It was just pouring out. And then, uh, and then Paul begins to teach on the gifts of the Spirit and, and teaches on how the church should function because it's basically a, a crazy, awesome, but crazy. And, and so in the middle of that conversation of Paul dealing with the issues that were happening in, 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 in Corinth, uh, one of the things that was happening was that within the church there were people on one side that were, that were moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, that were prophesying, speaking in tongues, and then they began to, to look down on, on some of the people that maybe were not doing the same things. And so the, the, the age-old Pentecostal problem was already arising in, in, in Corinth, uh, which, which was, do we earn the gifts of the Spirit, or are they given? Is it our goodness that causes God to move in this power, or is it a gift of grace? And so Paul, right in the middle of that argument and conversation, he drops this, it's a bit of a bomb in the middle of the party. Um, because they're having a party where the Spirit is moving, it's awesome, it's happening, and then, but... And Paul says, yeah, but you're missing the cardinal and most important part of this puzzle. In fact, this, this part is so important that without it, everything else that is happening loses its meaning and its purpose. There's nothing uh, uglier than having a form of godliness. So I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, if I speak in tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess uh, and give my body over to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I, I come from Zambia, uh, Africa, one of the most evangelized parts of the world, and I've seen many instances where we've had missionaries and people who've sacrificed so many things, and yet when it comes to really loving the people and the local people, you find it wanting. I spent nine years in Youth with a Mission, and... And there are many times we are moving in bases or different places. And you're like, you know, this is great work, but like black-eyed peas, where is the love? Right? Where is the love? And, it, and it's, 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 it's interesting. And, and, I, and what, what Carolyn was saying was, was we want to be a people that are spreading the kingdom of God. And it's not really confined to a particular building or having your name on a membership. But it's, it's something else. And I think as, as a church and as people, sometimes you can sit and, 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 you know, people in the front, we can really hit you hard with this stuff. Like, you got to reach out, you got to reach out, you got to reach out. But one of the things that I discovered a, a while back in my life was it's difficult to give what, what you maybe don't have or, or to give what you haven't maybe fully experienced. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, and so sometimes we, we struggle with that. We're like, we want to give, we want to do this, but, but do I understand and have I grasped? So identity goes back to, for me, it goes back one of the key foundational aspects of identity. I'm not going to say it's the only one, um, but I'm going to say that it is absolutely foundational, and that is love. 
And it, it's in two forms. It's both experienced love and also the display of love. Right? It is, it is, it is the willingness and ability to experience his love. So today, when I finish, I'm going to invite you to experience the love of God in a new way for yourself. Uh, so my hope is that as, as I'm talking and things like that, you, you, are, you yourself are examining your own heart and understanding that, that to the extent that you understand and grasp how much you are loved is to the extent that you are going to look at the person next to you and be able to see them the way God sees you. So in the Old Testament, um, and, and if you want to, I'm, I'm not going to give you this, this, it's Deuteronomy particularly and the book of Joshua, book of Joshua peppered uh, with, this, with this picture. So in the Old Testament, there was an understanding about God's presence. And God's presence uh, was often carried uh, in an Ark of the Covenant. And it was, it was a big chest and, and in it where the Ten Commandments were put in there, and at some point they had the, you know, the staff of Aaron was also put in there. But, but the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. And so especially in the book of Joshua, they carried around, and David carried it around as well. And, and so you see that, that even in battle and in war, they would carry the Ark of the Covenant. And that was an, an example of God's presence. And then when the temple was built, the ark was placed in this place called the Holy of Holies. So they had different sections of the temple, and, and they had the holy place, and then they had the Holy of Holies. Now, for, for you to go into the Holy of Holies, you had to be the high priest. And the high priest had to go through a laborious ceremony of cleansing in order for him to even be able to go into the Holy of Holies. And when he went into the Holy of Holies, he had to have a little bell on him that was ringing all the time, and they tied a rope uh, on him because if he went into the Holy of Holies and something went wrong and he wasn't quite clean enough, he might die because of the awesome, holy presence of God. And so he had a bell so that they could hear that, oh, he's still alive, he's still alive, he's still alive, oh, he's dead. And then they, you know, and then they pulled him out of this holy of holies. And, and so it's, it, it was a scary thing, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, we, we, we read these stories about, about Israel and all the things that God did, but man, there was, there's some stuff that, uh, that was really scary. And so the picture of, of God that was developing at the time was this, it wasn't a, a wrong picture, it was a right one. God is awesome. God is pure and holy. I, I mean, the, the concept that you couldn't even see God's face when Moses was asking, I want to see your face, I want to, and he's like, no, you don't, you don't, do you want to die? Essentially, you see my face, you die. So then God shows Moses uh, his back and his robe. And that's all Moses saw when he was asking, show me your your face, show me your glory. And so there was, there was this understanding about the intense holiness, and there's many other examples of, of the intense holiness of God, the inapproachable light of God. And, and this, 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 this almost created a bit of a distance, and I'll explain later why the understanding of the Jews about God and the experiences they had with him, why it caused, the, caused it very difficult to accept Jesus, right? To accept Jesus. So the distance of God, God seeming unapproachable, 
we listen to him and we have a buffer. And in the Old Testament, the buffers were often called prophets. Right? So they, they, they go to God, he tells them, they, they come back. And, and so you had this, this intercessor, this intermediary between the people and God. And that would be often the man of God or the prophet or any of these things. We still have residue and vestiges of those concepts in our world right now. Africa is one good example where the man of God sometimes is exalted to such a high level, the pastor or the preacher, that he becomes this intercessor between God and the people. Uh, and we forget our Protestant roots of the priesthood of all believers. Um, Carolyn when mentioned about, uh, about a, a, a lady that uh, was telling a story just about a, a abortion. And, and I was, when I was conceived, my mom and dad were not married. Um, my, my mom came from a bit of a, a royal line in Zambia, and my dad came from a non-royal non line. And so he was not accepted by my, my mom's uh, family. So when, when my brother was born, it was like, oops, mistake, okay, you know, we forgive you. But when I was conceived, it was like, okay, this is too much. So my, my mom at the time, her solution to the problem was, her intention was to abort me. My father was not a Christian at the time. My mother was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and I, this, this, this amazes me because when we think of the distant God that is far off, and he's only close on Sunday or when we come to church or when we're really good and we're really awesome. And, and I, I experienced salvation in a physical sense within the context of where I was not even in the fellowship. And God used my dad. My dad was, was the one who, who tried to convince my mom to not abort me. And so he did. That's why I'm here. Otherwise, yeah. And, and, it, and he did. And it's only later when I have hindsight, it's only later that I start seeing the stories in my own life of God's salvation. Um, and I grew up in Africa, but I grew up in an atheist home, in an unbelieving uh, home. My father was an extreme um, uh, African uh, patriot. Is that patriot? Is that right? Uh, like, like he was, you know, and he was anti West and anti-Christianity uh, in particular. So Christianity was his like, his like that was, that's what he shot at, if, if there was anything to shoot at. And, and so I grew up in an environment like that um, in my home, but I still was able to see the hand of God even in my own life and my own brokenness. And then I fast forward, uh, 19 years old, I have graduated from uh, high school. I became a Christian. My dad, remember the atheist dude? He sent me to a Christian boarding school uh, because it was the best school in the country. So education was an extremely high, high, uh, high thing because that was the only way, it was believed the only way to get out of poverty. And so I, I'm 19 years old. We are, we are poor. We are really struggling. Um, 
with with everything with basic needs with food with whatever but my parents had a had a farm like a lot of people in in Africa would have a little piece of land that their family always goes and they plant maize and whatever and they grow it and then they so even some of the poorest people would still have a little little portion of land and we had a big portion of land and uh, and I remember going to this farm. I'm 19 years old when you're supposed to be, you know, getting into the place. What are you going to do when you're 19? I'm going to go to college. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to... I was trying to eat. That's what I was trying to do when I was 19. And, and I remember uh, being at our farm and, and I, had, I was running out of the food that I had, I had taken. We eat a, 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 a cornmeal and you normally eat that with some vegetables and, and whatever is there. And so I was running out of this cornmeal and I had... Um, but I, I was also getting leaves, like wild leaves and, and roots and things like that. And, and all the while, I'm crying to Jesus. I had become a Christian at 17 years old. So I had been a Christian for, um, for a couple of years. And, and one of the things I, I believed when I became a Christian was that my life was going to be nice, right? It was, you know, you are saved from, from uh, a terrible life into a new one. And... For, for a long, for a while, my life actually got really bad. And this wasn't the worst of it. I'll tell you the worst of it in another story. But in this story, I remember being like, how did I end up here? God. I'm 19. I'm supposed to have this future. I'm supposed to have this, this but, but I'm here literally scraping and struggling to eat. So I remember having my last breakfast um, that morning. And I cooked the last little, little bit of, of nshima. And uh, our farm was, was like about 45 k's from civilization, which in Africa, civilization is electricity, maybe. And, and so I, was, I remember getting up that morning, and it was rainy season, and it was raining all the time. It's like monsoon rain. It's like, uh, you know, like rain where you cannot see from here to there. And I remember walking in that rain, and, and, uh, and I remember being like, my life sucks. And, and this, this idea of following Jesus and hasn't cracked up to, to, to be what it was meant to be. My external circumstances were supposed to have changed. And they did. That's why I'm, I'm looking good up here now. <laughs> they did. But at the time, at the time I could never see this. At the time, it was just like, man, where are you, God? What am I doing? And I'm walking through villages, and, 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 and then I, I, I was thirsty. And if you know anything about, about Africa, I, I didn't have a water bottle. Or any, if you know anything about Africa, during the rainy season, we have a lot of cholera and dysentery. People die, dying all over the place. And so I knew that it, there, was, there was a cholera epidemic. So I wasn't just going to go and drink water. So at the time, I was a very good Pentecostal. I didn't drink alcohol at all, nothing. So I remember having this struggle. I went in a village. I was so thirsty. And, and these guys <laughs> offered me a local brew, local alcohol drink, alcoholic drink. And I was just like, God, I, 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 I'm trying to be, but, but. And, I, I, and, and in the end, I did, I did drink it, and, and God, I, I God didn't give me, uh, like there was no negative from God from what I experienced, which was really weird. Because I, I thought, how can I be drinking this alcohol? But man, I was so thirsty. And at least I knew that that alcohol was, that alcohol had killed all the germs uh, in, in it. So anyway, I kept walking. And as I walked, there was, there was, God began to talk to me like after maybe 20 
case of walking. And, and one of the things he said to me, he said, well, Vinge, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? And he said, Fiddler on the Roof, if you guys know the movie. <laughs> do I love you? And I'm like, well, for three, for, for a couple, I've walked with you. I've done all this stuff with you. And, and he says, but, but do you love me? And I remember I was, I was literally walking uh, next to a, a, a little village. And there were huts. And I could see people walking around, uh, getting, like, walking to the well. And, and I remember uh, thinking to myself, Vinge, now if your life just ended up you being one of those people in that village with, who smell with body odor, you don't have shampoo or soap, you don't have any of these things, and that's where you end up. That's how your life is. Is that enough? And then I remember saying to God that I love you. And even if my life ended up in this little village and I lived that life, as long as I had you, that would be enough. And, and I cried. Couldn't see it because of the rain. It was just like, Psh. but it was like this presence of God right in the midst of the rain. My heart was so full of pain. You came and rescued my soul. And then your love took control. Right in the midst of the rain. You caused me to smile again. My life was awesomely changed. Right in the midst of the rain. I started smiling and laughing. And in the, it was raining, and I'm like a madman. I'm just like, oh, God, you're so good. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh, this is amazing. It was like, like the, 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 the presence and the love of God that I experienced. I was like, I wouldn't trade this love for bread even if I was a starving man. Instead of losing your love, I'd rather me dead. And I was just like, it was absolutely beautiful. And, and I, ooh, I better get moving here. So I learned something there about the presence of God and his love. Um, that, that, that truth be told, I know it, we, we all want to say that, you know, it's going to be good and things will be fine. And, and sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. But it was that whole circumstantial love, following God out of circumstances. He blesses me and therefore I'll follow him. And, and at that moment when everything was stripped away from me, I, I, there was many other things that were stripped away from me that I'll explain some other time. But at that moment and at that time, it like sunk in my spirit and my soul that man, I am loved. Therefore, I can go. And when we go back to what I was saying about the Jews and the Old Testament and the, that, that presence of God that was inapproachable, 
what you have to understand is when Jesus comes and he is God incarnate, the, the, the part of the Jewish rejection of the Christ is actually very similar to the Muslim and Islamic rejection of the Christ. Is how can this almighty, holy God, how dare you even think that this God who is powerful and awesome and perfect and pure, how in the world can you think that he can come down here and be and sit with you, a sinner? Jesus was accused of, of being a drunk, of being a person who sits and hangs around with sinners and prostitutes and all these different things. And then, and then you know, and people had the audacity to come to the, to the Jewish establishment and say to them, this is God. And they were like, you don't remember? We couldn't even approach God when we are on Mount Sinai and, and God was up there and, and the tables. We couldn't even step, set foot. We, they had to create a barrier because if anybody crossed the barrier, they would die. And then you're telling us that he's sitting with sinners. It was very hard for them to accept and to believe that in the, in the darkest oh, in the darkest parts of our lives, in the broken places of who we are, God is there. When we walk into a church or a community or people, a lot of us, not all of you, some of you are really awesome and perfect, but some of us who are not, we're like, hey, hey, do you see me? Do you see me, yeah? Do you see me? Hey, you see me? Oh, cool. We, we have a black thing. I tried to teach my kids this. There's a black thing. I don't know whether you guys have it as, like, white people have it or, or First Nations. But there's a black thing. Seth, can you tell them what the black rule is? That's right. This is the black rule. Wherever you are, if, you see, if, you see, if you're driving and there's another black person... This is, that's it, right? I see you. I see you because as, as black people, we are, we're used to not being seen. So we, we created this covenant around the world that, that we're, whenever you see a brother or a sister, you're just like, hey, I see you. I see you. You're important. You matter. I recognize you. And that's the beauty about community. And so when I go back to this Oh, can I, can I do a rap? Is that okay if I do a rap? I, I just, there was, there was I, I want to explain, explain something. Listen, so in the darkest despair, suffocating black clouds fill my atmosphere. The very air around me is heavy with fear. I try to run to my peers, but they drowning in tears of these material cares. Our eyes have been raining for years. Our ears are straining to hear the light like a spear rip through tear open these fears. Waiting, anticipating for the sky to open and clear. Hoping help is near. Better yet, salvation is here. But in the straining of waiting, I feel my hope is waning when life is quaking and shaking. Hard to awaken from the beating your heart has taken. It's cracking and breaking and shaking and flaking, aching in every way. And making you scream his name like, God, where's the protection you promised? After the storm, will you calm us? After they bomb us and harm us, will you someday arm us? And I remember, through all of life's hells and winters, you still forgive us, you still deliver. Because for me, everything you gave, you set free this slave. When from death you were raised, 
And now I lift my hands in praise as I bathe in your grace. So even in the darkest despair, even in the darkest despair, in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it makes a, a profound statement. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Right? God is love. He doesn't just give love. He doesn't just display love. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so one of the most foundational aspects of missions, ministry, outreach, reaching out, changing the world, transformation is love. When we understand, when we get blasted by God's pressure hose of love and it it rips away and strips away all the gunk and the garbage and the, and the stuff away from our lives. We become free to love. We are not protectionists anymore. We're, it's not, it's not this, 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 well, I'll love you if you love me. Because Jesus said that's exactly what the world does. I won't love you because, because I see that I can get a benefit from you. I can get something from you, therefore I will love you. It becomes something completely different. When we talk about adoption, uh, we have families in here that have adopted, we've adopted. That's one of the, th- you, you can adopt with expectation. You adopt freely. You're like, whatever happens, happens I'm just going to pour my love. I might get it back. I might not. In fact, having a baby is like that. Just having a kid is like that. I might get it back. This kid one day might yell at me, scream at me, swear at me, walk away. But I will love. And that's beautiful. So I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to switch out, switch out the words. So now we know that God is love. Now, here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 Sounds like God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, God does not boast, God is not proud, God does not dishonor others, God is not self-seeking, God is not easily angered, God keeps no record of wrongs, God does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, God always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres. And so love is the foundation, one of the main foundations of our identity in Christ. Because love then enables us, I'm going to read one more scripture here, in John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is the, is the, is the story about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but notice what happens right before he washes the disciples' feet, Right? It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash, to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And, and this is what I, I, I wanted you to, to, to kind of catch. Was here we have Jesus. His time is coming to leave. And he, he, he leaves behind an example of what serving and reaching out and all these things that we want to do sounds like. But if, if the scripture first talks about how Jesus had an understanding of what he was doing, where he was going, who he was essentially. And it was from, and then it, the Bible actually says, so then he got down, he took off the towel, he got the basin and he did this. So it was from a place and a position of understanding who he was that he was then able to, to be selfless in giving. And so as we are, I can see Kelly's coming, so we're, we're, as we're finishing, one of the, what I want us to, to hopefully receive today is, one, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. Let, let, the, let the hose of love hose you down right now. There is no striving about it. There's no effort about it. The only thing that at this point you do is you open up your heart. Now, some of you might be like, hey, Vinge, I'm loved out. I know God's love, and I understand God's love. Believe me, believe me. In the last year and a half of my life, I have experienced God's love like I've never done in my life. I, I saw God's love in a way, and, and Bruce Friesen was part of it, and Caleb was part of it, and my wife was part of it. But I saw love in a way after being in YWAM for nine years and pastoring for, for another nine years and doing all these things and, and going through all these teachings and having all these different things and preaching and teaching on love over and over and over again, I experienced a level of love that I could not, that was mind-blowing. And it's still, I'm still shaking from it. And so how, whatever level you have reached at, I want you to know that there is more. That if you are open to receiving this incredible love of God, it is absolutely amazing and you don't have to work for it. All you have to do is just be open. So I, I, I want us, whether you, you close your eyes or you bow, whatever, whatever it is, that, that we only, the only reason we close our eyes, is, it's not because it's holy, it's not because there's something, it's only because it, it, it causes us to not be as distracted. That's why people close their eyes in church. And that's why we do these things sometimes, so we don't get distracted that we can focus. So if that, that's going to help you, then do that. If it makes no difference to you, if you're just like, I am just going to be, bring it on, then do that too. But the main, the main point is I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to receive this, this incredible, amazing love. And I'm confident about you receiving it because God's love is ever-present. He is ever ready and willing to pour it. It's just us being open. So that's the first part. And then let this love, as it explodes on you, as it showers down on you, as it strips away those insecurities and those doubts about how significant you are, how important you are, or, or about what's happening tomorrow, or what, what is going on at work or at home, or whether this is happening. But, but as His love begins to strip those things away, that you're going to be open for the second one. To be loved and to love. That then you become that conduit 
of love because that's what missions is. The micro church and stuff is these are great concepts and structures, but without the core of of a people that understand and are constantly receptors of God's incredible love, then it becomes difficult for us to freely give what we have not freely received. So today, freely receive so that you can freely give his love. So I'm going to pray. And as I, I, I pray, I don't know. Do you have anything? No? Okay. I was just thinking about the, the, the how he loves us, right? How he loves us over and over and over again. How he loves us. He's not a distant God. He's not far off. Yes, he is holy. He is mighty. Yes, he's perfect. But he has chosen to come near to you today. And we have friends and family. Some of us are estranged from family. Some of us, like Carolyn talked about, we come from a home or a place where you were not told that you are loved. And maybe you were told that you were loved, but you still struggle with insecurities. And we carry this around us in our relationships, in the people that we meet. We look for it in people, in husbands, in wives, in friends, and in all these different places. And I, and I, and I pray that you receive it as a foundation, that you are loved. Yes, you, not the person next to you or the person somewhere else, but you. How he loves us. How he loves us. Thank you for your love, God. He loves us. Just open up your spirit and your heart right now to receive the love of God that is available for you right now. Let it wash away and drown out the other voices, the other stories that you tell yourself and just receive his love right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We just open up our hearts and our spirits right now to receive your love. We say yes to you right now. Yes to your love. Yes to your love. Let it wash over us right now. Let it wash over the narrations and the stories that our family has told. The stories that our failures have told. Lord, let it wash over. Thank you for your love right now, Jesus. Thank you for your love right now, Jesus. Thank you for your love right now.
And now that you are a recipient of this love, this is not a pressure. This is not a pressure for you right now. But it's from the abundance of the love that God pours into your spirit and that the spillage that happens, that is what the world receives. It's all this overflow of God's love. And that's when His yoke becomes easy. And that's when we experience that His burden is light. It's not, it's not laborious. It's allowing Him to fill us. Don't stop until you are full and it's flowing and it's spilling all over the place. Do not stop to be open. Don't just have a little nice feeling and then close off again. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, to fill you, to fill you. And then it will spill over. It will be contagious. It will be not something you have to work up. It will happen. And finally, I want to pray for the second part. That it will spill over. That it won't be just a thing that's here in, 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 in a room or in a space, but it spills into your Monday and your Tuesday, into the hard moments of, of disciplining a kid or when your baby wakes up in the middle of the night and you're cranky and tired, that even then the, the love of God will be spilling over. So I pray right now, God, for, for this love. I thank you first. Thank you. We are grateful for your incredible love. It's not circumstantial. It's not what's happening around us. It's what's happening in us and through us. So I thank you that you're able to fill us with your love. And I pray for the spillage, Lord, the spilling over of this love that will extend to our communities, to the people around us, to our neighbors, oh Heavenly Father. And we cling to the truth that truly your burden is light and your yoke is easy. And whenever it becomes heavy and, and it becomes a, a, a drill and it becomes any of these things, oh Heavenly Father, I pray that you bring us back to this place where we turn to you and we say, Father, fill us again with your goodness and with your love. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.